to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 95, The Omen, from 1976. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres, because here at The Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I know there's been a bit of a wait, but it's still crazy town over here, and uh, slowly but surely we are getting back to things. I am your host, as always, Hugh Lloyd. Now, before I introduce my fantastic guest on this episode, let's check out the trailer for The Omen 1976. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife Catherine was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, Something terrible happened. And then it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence? Or was it an omen? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother. I saw its mother. I have fears. I have fears. Kind of fears. It's mother, Mr. Thorne. It's on my wife. It's mother. What is it you're trying to say? His mother was a... This is not a human child. Make no mistake. There are those who will die for him. There are those who will kill for him. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And can he be stopped? Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. If this is the truth, where does it end? And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by the one, the only, the mercurial, Bill Van Vegel. How the devil are you, sir? I am doing really darn well. We were chatting beforehand that I was just saying I was salting my driveway. That's what I'm dealing with in Canada here. (laughs) Although I can't say that the winter's been all that awful. We haven't had it too bad. I think sometimes the cycle of the uh, environment kind of it's bad overall but it helps sometimes when you don't want to deal with the snow and then <laughs> tomorrow we'll probably get 12 centimeters and or 12 12 inches which is like 25 centimeters <laughs> probably tomorrow so but i'm really really looking forward to this episode this is a movie that i hadn't dug into for a while yeah so it was great it was great kind of getting into the backstory and it's great kind of figuring things out and just to let the audience know Whenever I do a review, either on Land of the Creeps or Phantom Galaxy or what have you, I normally have about a page of notes, 
a page and a page and a quarter. I've got four bloody pages of notes <laughs> for the omen. And that's literally observational and information about who was in the cast. I mean, that's all this is. This is, of course, we are talking the omen from 1976. Um, this is, it is, it's a horror classic. It is a, it is a classic film. And like, you know, and it's one of those films that even if you're not a horror fan per se, you people would have seen this. And all you have to say is Damien. And they go, oh, six, six, six. And, you know, or somebody goes, oh, and it's like, well, oh, the omen, the omen, instantly, instantly. Well, well, even any kid who you went to school with who had the name Damien, I never met one who was, uh, uh, who was, um, had the D-A-M-I-E-N. I don't think I ever had that. No. I had lots of I-A-Ns, but I never had any I-E-Ns. This film has ruined the name Damien, though, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Whoever that poor that poor boy was that had Damien, you're like, if you're of a certain age, everybody knew to, okay, what were your parents smoking when that was? <laughs> I mean, I, got, I watched this twice this week, um, and I watched it again yesterday, which, again, at the beginning of the week. Um this is just a this is a brilliant piece of filmmaking um from what and i just richard donner obviously this was directed by richard donner um it was produced by uh harvey bernard uh, it was written by david seltzer it stars gregory peck lee remick david warner billy whitelaw um and there's far more and we'll get into the cast in a little bit um and then we got this phenomenal score by jerry goldsmith um, and you got. The... I, I, and I was going to say, I didn't realize till yesterday he won the Oscar for it. He did, and there's a brilliant story about him not wanting to go to the Oscars because he'd lost so many times, <laughs> and he nearly didn't go. Um, you got the cinematographer was Gilbert Taylor. Now Gilbert Taylor is a is a tremendous cinematographer, tremendous cinematographer. Um, but Richard Donner would, you know, I think he's he's a big name. Everybody knows who Richard Donner is, but I don't think he ever gets anywhere near enough credit for how good a director he is. Yes, because there's a certain generation of people that know him as Lethal Weapon. Yes. Or yeah. that know him as the Goonies guy. Yeah. You know, like there's a whole backlog of him. He did a lot of like music videos. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of like, he did the Supermans. Yeah. Like, he is not a guy that you think of, oh, he's going to scare the pants off you. No. No. Yet, yet he kind of dug into this, and I think he took it full bore. Like, oh, he my wanted goodness, to make yeah. the best film he could. I mean, and what I love about this, um, and the how, the lack of supernatural in this film, even though we are dealing with a film that talks about the antichrist and the coming of the you know the the spawn of satan himself but there's a real lack of antichrist and of supernatural events in this film and everything that happens you can kind of explain there's not this like boom and it's all the more frightening for it the all other observation the other observation I thought of last night is after I'd watched it, when you think of the omen, you think of two things. It's supernatural, 666-ish, but it also gets labeled as that killer kid movie. Yeah. And honestly, other than a, an unfortunate tricycle ride, yeah, 
you don't get him as a killer. Nope. I don't think he lays a hand on anybody other nope. than fighting to go to church. He doesn't get yeah. a hand near anybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, for those of you who have not seen The Omen, and I can't believe that there is people still out there lurking in the depths who have not seen The Omen. Oh, there, there is. I mean, you, some of your 15-year-old students would have not seen The Omen. Uh, yeah. 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 But then I do spend a lot of my time when I'm teaching going, you what? What? You have not seen... What? <laughs> what are your parents doing? I do the same thing about Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is... I mean, it's it's, it's in the you know, the hundred scary... It, it, anytime there's a list in there, the hundred scariest moments or the, the hundred most shocking moments, this film pops up in there. Um, for the good listeners, Bill, how would you sum up the plot for this bad boy? Well, the sum up uh, this is... The movie opens with Gregory Peck. He's a American a politician who gets a job as the UK envoy. And so he's brought over to London and his wife has had a miscarriage or a stillborn birth. Yeah. Stillborn birth. And she's heartbroken. And he's an older gentleman, an older dad. And they want a child, the wife so much more, but played by Lee Remick. And they have the fortunate ability to adopt a newborn. And this newborn turns out to be Damien. And they take him in and they love him like any set of parents would. And they kind of notice a lot of things are kind of happening around Damien. And unfortunate anomalies are starting to occur. And he has a birthday party and a certain something happens to one of the nannies. It was a shocking. I hadn't seen that in a while. And you're like, geez, this is 1976. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and things just start to tumble from there. We get the church involved. We get birthmarks involved. Yeah. We get a, no, a nosy journalist involved. Yeah. And there's trips to Rome. There's trips to Israel. And there's a climax that, as I subsequently found out, was shot one way and then changed to something else. The the scene where, you know, things really get looped. I mean, obviously, we know something's not right straight away when the priest is saying that it even looks like your son. So we know that the baby's dead. But the fact he doesn't, he keeps it from his wife and Gregory Peck doesn't tell her that it's not their prop, it's not their child. Um already you kind of get this like okay this this is not off to a great start for this family and then we get this party and you, you clearly see um this family is incredibly wealthy well thought of um and then we get the nanny who hangs herself and you get that those famous lines look at me damien this is all for you and when she jumps and she smashes through that window, that is just, it is horrific. It like, is... To me, to me, that's a jump scare done well. Oh, yeah. Because that's, it's essentially a jump scare. That's what that is. Yeah. And then you get, the, the thing that really got me was the sound of the rope creaking back and forth as the body is swinging. And, you don't get a lot of scream. You know, there's some background scream, but the, the predominant noise that you hear after that crash is the rope creaking, and that is. And I mean, the stunt 
the stunt person who did that is, you know, it does a tremendous job. But right, it my is... question is, when does a nanny get the chance to get industrial rope, ring it up to a support that's going to support her weight, <laughs> rig it up on the roof, get herself, you know, like that takes a lot of effort. She'd worked in the Navy na- previously. Nappies and stuff. Yeah, like... she'd worked in the Navy quick, so she she could do a, she could tie in a, a good noose quite quickly, quite quickly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that was the first one that. For everybody listening, I hadn't seen it in probably five to ten years. Like it's one that I'd seen multiple times, but I hadn't seen for a while. And when that hits you, if you're not used to it or you're not ready for it, it is a bit of a shock. I wouldn't say a scare, but it's more of a shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, and it is shocking. Um, And we get what's really cool about this film is the way in which the different the cast, because this cast is tremendous. Oh, I've got a whole page. You know, Literally a whole page of cast. You know, I think Gregory Peck is superb in this. You know, and it's great to see Atticus Finch in a genre in a genre movie. Yeah, because when you think of Gregory Peck, you think of Atticus Finch, and you yeah. think of him throwing that apple and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at this point in his career, he was just about done with. Yeah. He did um, the Boys from Brazil. I guess that was the last big one after this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great film, Boys from Brazil. Great film. It doesn't paint the Nazis too well, but no. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, he was, you know, guns, you know, guns from uh, Guns of Navarro. You know, uh, we've got, um, you know, uh, to kill a mockingbird. But originally, I mean, he'd gone through a hell of a time previously before this film, before filming started, because his son had committed suicide in 1975. Um. And he was quite reluctant originally to take up the role. And um, he was not the first choice. No, because they offered it to William Holden. Yeah, he turned it down. And there was somebody else. Was it? Did I, I forget who we were well, called? Well, there's, there's there quite two a Two or three. They, at, at one point, they offered it to Charles Bronson. Oh, did they even? They okay. offered it to Charles Bronson. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't think even the devil would want to fuck with Charles Bronson. No, but I don't know that Charles Bronson necessarily has the acting chops to carry it. No, no. Not today, Satan. <laughs> As he blows Damien away. All you have to do for him is to try to put him through a tunnel and he'd be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big Charles Bronson fan, mind you. I'm a huge... Oh, I, 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 I love the... Uh, oh, what's the one where he's the vigilante? Death Wish. Death Wish. The two, three, four. I love those films. Yeah. I, uh, just a minute. But, Number three is just insane. Oh, that's the one in the neighborhood, right? Yes. Where he just yeah. machine guns everyone. Just kills everyone. But I think... Having an actor of Gregory Peck's esteem, yes, and I—he's brilliant with the dramatic pause. Yes, he knows how to do the dramatic pause. He knows how to deliver a line. He brings a certain sense of gentlemanliness to it, but at the same time, that urgency that that role needed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know, if you want somebody to be a statesman, there he is. There he is. You know, he is that ultimate poise. And the the scenes in this where he is when he's when he's still and when he's quiet and you can see him thinking it all over um, is brilliant. Is absolutely brilliant. What's in yet? I was going to say yet with a suit a tweed suit jacket with elbow patches. Yes, absolutely. And he rocks a polo <laughs> neck as well. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. But interestingly, the William Holden turned it down and then appears in the sequel. 
as it, it, here's the whole conversation. I haven't seen any of the sequels. Wow. No, I haven't, and I didn't even know they remade it in 2006. You're not missing much with the remake. Leave Schreiber actually. That's being dismissive. That's not fair. Leave Schreiber's very, very good. Isn't it? Very, very good. Is it? Yeah. Is it, is it almost? Is it like uh, when they redid uh, Psycho, like shot for shot kind of deal? No, 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 no. Um, I mean, one of the things that one of the biggest mistakes I think they make in the in the remake is they take it out of the UK. Okay. Um, because actually, what lends the end into this? Um, spoiler alert coming up. The the ending to this is really, really shocking because obviously we don't get a lot of people getting shot in the UK from the by the police. And when Gregory Peck's character gets shot at the end, for the time that would have been quite shocking. That would have been quite shocking because we wouldn't ha- we didn't have those moments. They did, you know, we didn't have you know armed police. You know, the, the we didn't have, like, properly armed response units until much, much later on. Um, so so in the UK, what level of officer would be allowed to have so, a shot? Um, at some point, um, for a very, very long period of time, it would have been somebody like a um, detective inspector. Um, but he, would, he wouldn't walk around with the weapon. It would There would have to be some kind of major incident to be called that he would then... That he would then respond, um, or they would have a very, very small number of specially trained officers. Now, obviously, they there are much, you know, there's still not a massive armed response unit because police officers in the UK don't. But that see that moment of um, him of Gregory Peck's character being shot would have been really quite shocking. But because they took took in the in the remake because they took it out to the UK, it loses its impact. You know, and also, bearing in mind, you've got a British police officer shooting uh, somebody with diplomatic immunity. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, which is so for 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 you to do that, you really have to have cause. Oh, but I, I mean, stabbing stabbing a child with ceremonial knives will probably get you that, but <laughs> you know, but it's still quite a shocking moment in it. And like the one thing that you see with Gregory Peck is you see the slow decline of this character. And because of the lack of the supernatural stuff, you, you could probably think to yourself, well, hang on, is this, is he, is he just going mental? Is he, is he having some kind of breakdown around it? Is, you know, all of this stuff around him, has he lost his, his sort of, you know, any kind of sort of, you know, I mean, it, it becomes very, very clear later on, but, is he having some kind of moment? Is he having some kind of breakdown? And to see Gregory Peck's character lose it and get broken down bit by bit by bit by bit, where he Look, knows... The, the moment in the film where I think it kind of takes that turn is when he goes to the hospital. Yeah. And he kind of loses it on the nun. Yes. And he's still respectful. He's like, come on, you got to have these records somewhere. they got to be somewhere. And yeah. almost, I think at one point he puts his hands on her shoulders and was like, yeah. where are these damn records? Yeah. And I think at that point, he's kind of flipped the switch. Yeah. And like, what's really interesting is you've got Gregory Peck and then you get Lee Remick. And Lee Remick in this is superb, is absolutely brilliant. Because even though her character is clearly struggling, you don't get sort of the histrionics. It could have become very, very melodramatic. Yeah. But her performance still remains 
very real. And she is, you can see she's clearly struggling with it all. Even after Damien has like hit her over the banister and she's in hospital and she's, you know, she's lost the baby that she was carrying and she's broken her arm and she's, you know, clearly you're really badly injured. She still asks about the care of Damien. But what's what what I found interesting watching it is she's this mother who's had it stillborn. She's having troubles with uh, having a baby. And then this comes along and then something else happens that yeah. she loses another baby. You don't see I don't can't recall any motherly loving moments with Damien. No, no. you don't see the goo goo gaga. You don't see the holding at the breast. You don't see other than her holding his hand at the birthday party. Yeah. You don't see a lot of affection towards Damien. No. So I'm almost wondering if there's an underlying message there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her character and her character becomes colder and colder as the film progresses. And she, she it's almost like she senses something is not right. Um, and she does a brilliant job in this Lee Remick. She's a great actress. Great and and the other thing actress. with her is she's a, a, like a quite attractive woman, but they really play that down. She yeah. looks like mom with a blouse. Yeah. And she's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she's, she's uh, cleaning the house or she's watering the plants, but you know, you don't see her as a society woman in a dress going out to the cocktail party. No, no, no. Now, what this hat, the omen has one of my all-time favorite actors in this, and that's David Warner. Oh, David! I love David Warner. And David so Warner is, and he's so mod in this. He looks so mod with his, <laughs> you know, he's got his, you know, he's got his mod cut and a cravat and everything. He is superb as the photographer in this. He is absolutely brilliant. My favorite brilliant. line in this film with him is when. Uh, Warner first gets introduced to Gregory Peck and he's taking his photo and he's coming out of the elevator and Peck knocks, knocks his camera yeah. and he goes, oh, send the bill to my office. I'll get you. And he goes, no, 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 you owe me. Yeah, yeah. He's I, and he's a brilliant actor. And I mean, some of his films that he's been, you know, that he's, he's been in are my all-time favorite. I mean, Straw Dogs. He's oh, Straw Dogs. Fantastic. I just reviewed that. Oh, my gosh. He is fantastic. Even, like, like, for most actors, I put a parentheses and i list some of his films i didn't even bother with warner because warner's oh. just if you don't know david warner look him up you know i mean okay straw dogs the omen cross of iron sam peckinpah movie ah oh, just absolutely time after time and, and yet he was in some of those amicus anthologies oh god yeah 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 like he wasn't no he was one of those actors like a brian dennehy or something like that where no roles too small Give it your best, no matter what role you're given. He's a character actor, and I mean, you know, obviously, he's, you know, he's a bit of background in theatre and everything else, um, and just a superb, superb actor. Um, and then we get Billy Whitlaw as uh, Mrs. Baylock, who is yeah. terrifying, terrifying. Um, I think she passed away in. Um, not too long ago, actually. I think she passed yeah, away. Let me look it up. I, I, I have her here. Uh, and she's one of those ones where you say the name. 2014. Not, 2014. It means, it, it means nothing, the name. But then you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, she was in The Dark Crystal. Yeah. She was in, and as recently as 2007, she was in Hot Fuzz. Yes, she was. Yeah. You know, like she's, she's one of the, again, no roles too small. Give it your best, no matter what the occasion calls for. And she is terrifying as Mrs. Oh, yeah. Baylock. 
Oh, this, absolutely. And again, the stillness that she brings to it. Um, and her and Gregory Peck have a brilliant fight. It's a proper dust-up. Oh, and she gets nasty. Oh, God. And he, I mean, he even kicks her in the face at one point. <laughs> She's, she kind of reminds me of like a horror character that, you know, like the, the Energizer bunny just keeps going yeah. and going and going. Yeah. And the, that scene where after the after the nanny has killed killed herself and she shows up at the house. And they just accept that she's there. Well, I like she goes, well, you know, sometimes, you know, our modern nannies, you know, they get caught up with certain things. I'm here to clean that up. Yeah. And, and then they, <laughs> they say, well, who sent you? And they said, oh, the agency sent me. And they just go, OK. Yeah, and they accept it. Yeah, until they go, did you? Did you? Did you? But at that point, she's ensconced and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, right? yeah. And then you get the dog that that is like the guardian, the watchdog, the Rottweiler that is there, um, which is... Yeah, I never, I never did quite... What was the connection with the dog? So the dog... So one of the things that... Um, I think it harps back to this idea of sort of any kind of creature that's kind of demonic. So so vampires and those kind of things will have some kind of watcher or guardian to like watch over them. And usually it's like some kind of ferocious dog uh, to watch that watch over them during the day and those kind of things. And sure. the dog and because obviously we get the attack scene in yep. in the cemetery and it's all Rottweilers. And so, um, you know, th- this dog is there to protect Damien, to watch over him. I was going to say, because I I paid close attention. I don't remember any scene where there was specifically a transference of devilish to the dog or anything. No, the dog is just there. They just show up evil. Yeah, it's just there. It's just that this dog is like a manifestation and is there to protect. Um, And it's just, it's, 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 it's great. What's interesting is this dog was supposed to be big and mean and nasty. But on set, it was just lovable and kept licking everybody's face and just wanted to be picked up and cutched and, and sort of rubbed and played with. But it was supposed to be this big, nasty killing machine. But yeah, I can uh, see it just being a big goober fest. Yes. I can just see that. Yeah. 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 Um, now, this also has Patrick Troughton in it. Oh, he was brilliant. Um, and, of course, Patrick Troughton was Doctor Who. But also, he was in Jason and the Argonauts. He was. He was. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he's got some hairy housing in him. Yes, he has. I mean, he's a or he was, and you know, he sadly passed away. But um, he's a tremendous character actor. Um, you know, he, he loads of television. I mean, Jason and the Argonauts, Curse of Frankenstein, the Hammer movie, great. I mean, it seems to me every time we get together for something like this, I always make the comment of they call up the British uh, acting yeah. guild, <laughs> yeah, 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 and out they come. Because yeah. you get these guys, somebody's been in Doctor Who, somebody's been in EastEnders, somebody's yeah. been in, you know, and, but they all know their part. Well, he was in Sinbad, Eye of the Tiger. Um, great <laughs> film, Scars of Dracula. Um, oh, good film. I like that one. The uh, the Gorgon he was in. The Gorgon. So uh, he was in all the, the, the Hammer films. He did loads and loads and loads of Hammer. And of course, then he was, uh, you know, he was Doctor Who. Um I'm not sure which doctor because I'm not a massive. No, massive... I, all I all I know is the the two the, the white haired guy and then Tom Baker. <laughs> um, yeah, and, he, and he's a really good doctor as well. He's in, you know, somebody... I could see I could see him lending himself yeah, really he's well. To... Really, really good doctor. Um, the one of the things that sort of like really struck me 
in this is is the major death scenes in this. Oh yeah, you know, and like lots of people talked about how this film, um, you know, clearly influenced films like the Final Destination movies and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorites in this? Well, I mean, the obvious one is the decapitation. Oh. It, and that's one that you see it when you're like 13. And I don't care how old you get. You're not going to forget a pane of glass. And that head spinning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Yeah, it comes up and you're like, he, he's digging for these uh, knives that have been left under the construction site. And, he's, and he turns around and... Sorry, buddy, you never had a chance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, there's so many so many good scenes. I mean, the, the hanging scene is is great. And the one actor that uh, I was just going to get to was Martin Benson. Yeah. Martin Benson, who played uh, Father Spoleto. Yes. Who was in films such as Goldfinger, yeah. The King and I, and A Shot in the Dark. Shot in the dark. Oh, just and I think amazing. I think he was really good when he was giving him that speech on the park bench, and and Peck goes, "Okay, you've had your five minutes. Now I'm having mine. Yeah. Don't bother me again." And he yeah. Walked... <laughs> yeah, I mean that was Troughton. That was Troughton and um, Peck in that scene. Also Troughton and Peck. Okay, yeah, that so was Troughton one, and Peck. Which one was Benson? Uh, Benson was the uh, father's the one who ended up being burnt. Oh, okay, that one. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He ended up being burnt. That scene with Peck, uh, what I love about that scene is um, the cinematography behind that. And you get the the depth of field. Um, and what's really, really cool about this, lots of the lighting in this film. Um, you get this um, this light just across the face. Just, 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 just lit just across the eyes. You get the streak, and then you get Patrick Troughton is is shot with like almost like um, the type of shot is like a depth of field shot. So he is at the forefront, and then you get what's going on behind, and then you get Gregory Peck as he's walking away, and as he walks away, that's where the wind starts building up, and the storm starts coming, and like you see on Patrick Troughton's face, he knows he's dead. Yeah. Well, my question is: Is this, if you got um, a spire coming down from the top of a steeple, church steeple, why the hell are you just standing there? Your arms aren't gonna stop it. <laughs> no, you're Move not. Move gonna... one meter over. <clears throat> Move one meter over. Yeah, yeah. Why would you just get out of the goddamn way? Why would you just stand? <laughs> Stands there screaming. Stands there screaming at it. <laughs> but what a death! Oh. oh. Just yeah, and, and and even the way that his body was left there, as yeah. it had the spire through it, and it's still erect. Yes, it's got it through the shoulder, through the you yeah, know, the hip, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's, it's just a tremendous. And the whole build up to that scene, you know, and you get the you get the sort of Ave Santana, uh, it's not Santana, Satani uh, music building underneath it. Um, you know, it's great. It's just, it's just brilliant. And, you know, he's banging on the church and he's trying to get in and it's like, nope, that's it. That's it. And like with David Warner's character, when he's taking the pictures and you get the foreshadowing of it, quite literally the foreshadowing. So the noose, literally. the noose around the neck and then you get, and then you see his foreshadowing with the, with the line by his neck. 
Yeah, yeah, you know something's coming. And he does everything he can to try to figure it out. But in the end, what's in the cards is in the cards, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's just a phenomenal bit. I mean, I can go through this uh, crew. Like, there's uh, Robert Wrighty. Is that how you say his name? Yes, Robert yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was in The Italian Job. He was in Hannibal. He was in Never Say Never Again. He was the voice in The Paper Tiger. <laughs> You've got uh, Tommy Duggan. Who's yep. in Superman? And, and there seems to be a thing of a lot of people from Doctor Who. Yeah. Do- Tommy Duggan was in Doctor Who, and he was on the TV show The Saint. Oh, he was on a few show. episodes of that. Uh, there's Anthony Nichols. Yeah. Who played the Doctor, and yep. it, it, and he was in the Battle of Britain. He was Othello. Yeah. You know, like uh, who else you got here? You got Frida Dowie. Yeah. Who's a very big, I guess, character actress in Britain on TV. Yeah. She was in Poirot, EastEnders, Lovejoy, the ITV play show, play of the week. Yeah. I mean, got jo- I think yeah. with Poirot, I think every British actor over the years has been in that. I mean, David <laughs> Suchet as, as, as Agatha Christie's Poirot is he's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. Um, but everybody, I mean, it, I think there's over 12 seasons of it ran for years. Oh, yes. Everybody, and what was the one where the guy was the detective and he was a chef? Um, uh, where he was kind of a chubbier actor. Oh, Pie in the Sky. Pie in the Sky. Everybody seems to have been on that show. <laughs> but I mean, sky. you've got you've got uh, John Stride. Yeah. Who was in A Bridge Too Far? A Bridge Too Far, I guess, was shot right after. So they they kind of everybody seems to have been in A Bridge Too yeah. Far. Though. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Brannigan. And he was in, like, he played Macbeth. Uh, you got Sheila Rayner, who was the mom in A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got Don Fellows. Yeah, who was great in actor. Years of the Lost Dark, Superman 2 and uh, 4. You've got Patrick McElhenney, who was in A Night to Remember and The Tomorrow People. Yeah. And even the lower guys, I was like, I know that guy. I know that guy. Tomorrow you got People's a great show. You've got Bruce Boa, who was in Full Metal Jacket and Octopussy. You've got vet, and then there was the one I'm like, that's Nicholas Campbell, Canadian veteran actor, who was in The Dead Zone and Cinderella Man and A Bridge Too Far. And for all my Canadian listeners, he was in The Littlest Hobo as well. Ah, what a <laughs> what a soundtrack! What a theme tune. Here's a place. Yeah, exactly. Oh, did that get play? Did me. that get play in the UK? Oh God, yeah. Every stop of me, can make a new friend. <laughs> Turn around and I'm gone again. Maybe tomorrow I want to settle down. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even if you look at the guys that are uncredited. Yeah. You got Mike, Michael Byrne, who was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Tomorrow Never Dies. You got the guy that plays the uh, doctor, the professor in Egypt. Yeah. Or Israel. Leo McKern. Played Cromwell in A Man for All Seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got Victor Harrington, who has 278 IMDb acting credits. And then you've got Guy Standiven, who has 344 IMDb acting credits. And these guys are just the uncredited actors. Like, I don't know if he's a professional background actor. I don't know. but holy he's, he's everywhere. I mean, what's <laughs> interesting, this was a massive production. It's a big production. But what is interesting, this does, you know, it also falls into the idea of the cursed film. 
Oh, I've got a whole page on that. Yeah, you know, you, you, the, the fact that like Gregory Peck's plane got struck by lightning on the way. Um, uh, there's three. There's three separate occasions. Yeah, where people involved with the film had their airplane hit by lightning, and I was looking up on it, and they said it's not that unusual. They say most commercial planes are hit by lightning about once a year. Yeah. But the fact that it all happened to people on the crew, there was a writer, there was an executive producer, and there was Gregory yeah. Pecks. Yeah. All got hit by lightning. Eh, something in the air. And he sort of, he also cancelled the flight. And that yes. plane crashed. Yeah. Um, there's a great Shudder documentary. Um, I think it's, and I think this is the third episode where they focus on uh, on the Omen about cursed movies. It's, it's really good stuff. It's really, it's worth it. Um, I was going to say I'm quite proud on Land of the Creeps. We did a cursed uh, movie episode a year before Shutter came out, so yeah. we like to think they listened to ours. I think so. <laughs> inspired them. Inspired. inspired. Them. But but I mean, there's the whole thing about special effects designer John Richardson. Yeah. Who yeah. was responsible for the whole special effects with the decapitation of David Warner? Yeah. Well, a year later, him and his wife were out driving in Holland. Uh, I forget what the movie was. But they got into a car accident and uh, a tire flew off the car and decapitated the wife. It's... And that it occurred on the 13th on a Friday. And when Richardson looked out, he swears he saw a sign for the town of Omen, O-M-M-E-N, which was 66.6 clicks away. Ave... So I mean, there was the whole there was the whole bit about the uh, dog trainer, or uh, yeah, the the animal trainer. Yeah. Who in all those scenes where there was the uh, uh, baboon attacks and this yeah. and that, and they went and shot that, and then the next day he was working on another film, and a tiger killed him, mauled him to death. It's I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? It is a crazy, you know. I mean, this is a big production, and things go. I mean, that baboon scene. Um, those baboons go absolutely ballistic, um, and you, Lee Remick was genuinely scared filming that. They well, I was going to say, did, did you hear the story? How they did it is they took one of the baboons, and they shot it full of uh, some kind of tranquilizer, and they put it in the car. So the baboons, with their um, motheristic instincts, legitimately go nuts, and the and the scene of her screaming in the car. It was 99% all legit because they were just sitting there and uh, Donner just said, let her roll. Good old like, 1970s health and safety there, isn't it? <laughs> you couldn't get away with getting any drug near an animal within 30 feet of them these days. Jesus. I mean, that, and I mean, that scene is incredibly in. In this film, mind you, Lee Remick's character does not have a lot of luck in Clark Cars. So you get the baboon attack. You get the scene where Damien attacks her while they go to church. Yeah, that was freaky. Yeah, I mean, and I like how I like how Gregory Peck's like, "Oh, come on, it's just a, it's just a, an Episcopalian wedding. Come on, just get him in her suit. Come yeah, on, yeah. just let him go." You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, one name we haven't mentioned in the cast, of course, is Harvey Spencer Stevens, who plays Damien. Oh yeah, that yeah. child, I bet. Until he, he sort of grew up a little bit and people stopped recognizing him so much, must have frightened the shit out of everyone when they saw him, because that evil little smile is just 
that that moment at the end. Well, I, I heard when they casted him, they most of the cast was set, but they hadn't cast Damien yet. Mm. So when Donner got back got I, I, to the UK, he put out a wide cast of all the all the primary schools. We need a kid. We need a kid. We need a kid. And he was the one out of whatever that read, and he liked it. And they didn't know if he had the, the, the gumption to be able to do the role. So they made him do the scene going to church. And yeah. that's what sold him on the... Yeah. And apparently he was a real piece of work and he, he kicked the director, I think. Yeah, he kicked, kicked... Donna straight in the knackers. He kicked him right in the nuts. <laughs> and that sold him. Yeah. And he said to him, dye his hair, he's, he, he's cast. He is right then and there. cast. I mean, this film obviously had... a. You know, a, a significant um, the the best way I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. This film plays light, f- fast, and loose with so, some of its sort of uh, religious backgrounds and things, and the, the you know the famous poem that they uh, talk about, and some of its quotes as well from the Bible. And the, they kind of you know took some artistic license with that, and for years and years and years, people were convinced. That that was that was it. That 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 was you know it was all true. But they played around with it all. Um, you know, when the, the famous lie of you know when the Jews return to Zion and a comet rips the sky and the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must die. For the eternal sea he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother, if man exists no more, or so man exists. Yeah, until man exists no more. I mean. That that's quite powerful, heady stuff, and they sort of mix it all in there with with different things. But I think one of the reasons why this film kind of hit big is the seventies was such a time of political upheaval, and when you sort of think, you know, you had Watergate, you had Vietnam, you had. Um, Britain joining um, the EEC or the what was then known as the European Community. I mean, you also had things like women's rights. You had the gays, uh, the gay homosexual rise to their strength and political. You've got world. Uh, you've got the the coming of the um, oil embargoes. It was yeah. quite the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you sort of this film plays that so well. And by the fact that they put in um, a politician in the middle of it all as well, it, it just it sort of it, it it really lends itself to creating this world, this um, and, and makes the film believable. You know, it makes it believable, and you can you kind of go, ah, oh, well, you know, really, is it all coincidence? Is it not? And then you start putting the pieces together. It's it, it's it's so well done. It's so well done. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing it's coming off with is the film's coming off of a string of, I wouldn't necessarily say satanistic, but cultish-type films and satanistic that were hugely popular. Oh, yeah, huge films. And and Donner's, I don't know if he's necessarily trying to cash in on that, but he's certainly trying to play off of it. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you got, I mean, you're obviously coming off Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, but you also got films like The Devil Rides Out. You've got Race yeah. with the Devil. Yeah. It's all in that atmosphere. And then the next comes this. But I don't think it necessarily needs to be lumped into that because it doesn't quite play it up as much as those other ones do. No, no, 
No, and I think it's sort of... Um, I think it's sort of... It walks a very, very fine line. Um, between, And I think Do- one of the things that Donna talked about is that he didn't want it to be a big, spooky, supernatural film. He wanted to have he wanted it to have that credible real world element to it, and I think the way in which this is shot, as well, you know, because you know even when they get to Rome, I think the most sort of fantastical part of it is the cemetery scene, um, where they are looking at the bodies, where they're trying to find the body of the woman who gave birth to Damien, and then they realise that Damien was born of a jackal. And they see the jackal's uh, skeleton in there. And then they find the skeleton of Gregory Peck's character's baby. And then you get the dog attack in there. But I, 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 like, I like the scene that precedes that, where they find the priest who's yes. quite elderly. And he can't even fathom the ability to talk. Yeah. But he scribbles on stone with a yeah. rock. Yeah. You know, and it's interpreted through Italian. You have to go to such and such a cemetery. Yeah. I'm like... Talking about getting all the stars to align for you right then. And there. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the scene with Bugenhaven. Yes. And what a name, Bugenhaven. Um, <laughs> that is, you know, and again, played by um, a British character actor um, who was uncredited in the film, actually. That was, that's McKern. Yeah, Leo McKern. Leo McKern. Uh, who went on to sort of famously play Rumpole of the Bailey on television in the in the UK. Great but actor. What's, but when, what's interesting is when he played this role, it doesn't look like he was a young man. No. Like he was obviously at least in his mid to late 40s. Yes. You know, yeah. to be uncredited at that point and then to, you know, go on to something else. Yeah. He's a great actor. Great, 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 great actor. But that scene where the dogs are attacking and Gregory yeah. Peck climbs over the railings and gets and impales his arm is just yeah, yeah. You know. well, well i was sitting there thinking he must have worked out because for him to hold his whole body weight yes you know at least a meter high away from the dogs and he's holding it up and he's cheering on david warner to keep going you know like i'm not being funny mind you i think i'd find the strength to hold myself up <laughs> if i was being attacked by a pack of dogs but that and then we get the scene where um he, you know he tells his wife you need to leave just leave and then Mrs. Baylock shows up in the hospital um, and throws her out the window. I, I mean, mean we've, seen, we've seen that kind of scene in many movies where somebody falls from a high window down to yeah. uh, an ambulance. But this one was maybe the originator of... It, I mean, it's a great high fall. I mean, Lee Remick's stunt double has two great high falls in this. I mean, you get the sort of almost Shining-esque um, moment where Damien... Um, what I love about that scene is, well, it's almost like Mrs. Baylock is whipping him up into a frenzy before she lets him loose. And he's just riding round in a big circle, round and round and round and sort of almost whipping him up. And you can hear the music building and building. And then she like opens the door and he's just trundles straight into her and hits her over the top. Well, I, was, I wrote down in my notes, I wonder if um, Stanley Kubrick was a fan of this film. Well, yeah. Yeah, you can, you know, you can, and again, the the use of sound in this, in this, you get the building of the, you get the, the the music, and then you hear the the tricycle come in, the, the you know, along the floor yep. and the squeaking of it. Um, what's interesting, the fish in the gold in the bowl, 
Yeah. Um, they're not. Um, they're sardines. They're dead sardines that they painted oh, orange. Because um, you know, and rightfully so, Richard Donner refused to use real goldfish, so they painted um, sar- tin sardines. Yeah. The other story I heard about that scene is though that at this point. Even the people on set and on crew knew this was a quote-unquote cursed film. Mm. And and what's his name? Uh, Harvey Bernhard actually yeah. used to wear a cross on set. He had one on him because, you know, he could use any bit of help he could get. But Lee Remick, because of all this, the original shot was supposed to be her going head forward. Yeah. Off the rail. And she refused. Yeah, they had to rewrite it and reshoot it so that you see the goldfish going down, and the next scene you see her hands on the bars on the on the yeah. railing, and yeah. that was reshot because she refused. But when I was watching that, I don't know about you, what housewife is going to be that diligent to water her plants with a ten foot fall in front of her, and just kind of <laughs> lean forward? You know, like if her if her hair or her chest pokes out she tips over yeah why would you do that i mean i i mean i gotta be honest i've done some stupid things that that have ended badly um but yeah no but again it's one of those things isn't it that you think is it supernatural is it a freak accident is it and it, it it creates that sort of like i hate using this word but there's almost this sort of like almost gaslighting of the family going on around them this idea of oh it's just an accident or is it? It's just, no, 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 no. It can, it, it can all be explained, but can it? It's just, it's just a brilliant, brilliant. It, it's, it was the Damien was the archetype for the John Ritter movie Problem Child. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's not as annoying as that kid in the. No, but it's funny. I wrote down, I am never going to the zoo with Damien. No, <laughs> no, I'm never because <laughs> that scene where the even the uh, giraffes run away from him. Yeah. That's you know, freaky. Yeah. If you can piss a giraffe off, that's not good, is it? <laughs> not just one, a whole herd of them. Yeah. <laughs> For you, Bill, um, who's your, because we talked about the cast a lot, who's your favourite character in this? You know what? Probably uh, David Warner. Yeah. Because yeah. he's he lends himself so well into this role, and he's... He's not exactly the most likable character. He's a bit of an annoying kind of guy, but at the same time, you kind of feel for him because he knows what's coming. He's trying to put off what he knows is going to come. Yeah. And he's doing his due diligence as a photographer, as a journalist, trying to figure things out. And in the end, with his heart in the right place, wanting to get rid of the child, it ends up killing him trying to find those daggers. Yeah. Like, poor man. Like, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, he's got all these pictures set up and he's, and he's digging around and he's in the end, your time is what your time is. Yeah. And and that's kind of what you get out of it. And I, 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 one of the things that did strike me, mind you, is the fact that he's in his dark room with a cigarette hanging from his mouth. It's like, that's just really flammable. (laughs) Tell it's the seventies. He's drinking and smoking whilst he's sort of doing all of that stuff. But like, his character is just absolutely brilliant in it. Um, and he's just, he's almost, and I mean, that scene where he takes, picks Gregory Peck up and he takes him to uh, Patrick Troughton's room and the room is like pasted, completely covered with with, with uh, pages from the Bible and crosses and everything else. And he explains to him, well, look, he realized, you know, that, that he, he knew he was dead and he was taking morphine three times a day. Um, 
and that he was he had cancer and he just wanted to do the right thing because it's it, then you sort of you realize then there's this much wider conspiracy going on well that the whole, the one part of that scene that i found really interesting was when david warner at one point goes well, uh, uh, Peckett kind of asks him, "Well, how do you how do you know all this information out?" And when De uh, Warner goes, "You know, the police were done with their investigation, so they just let me hunt around in the room for anything yeah. else that I." Want. What police officer is going to do that? Let's just let some journalists hunt around and look at primary evidence, and just you know, pocket it, and off you go. Ah, yeah, it's, it's the seventies. It was the seventies. Anything goes. Anything goes. I mean, some of that stuff could be used in a court case. I ah, just let him go. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's... Now, this, the scene, you know, when it gets to that end scene where Gregory Peck's wife has finally died, and everything that, um, you know, everything that's been said about him, you know, Damien is true, and we get that moment where he's had this fight with uh, Mrs. Baylock, and he's he's got Damien in the car, and he's rushing to the you know to, to sort of holy ground to, to to sort of finally get rid of Damien to kill Damien that little Damien's you know the act the child actor who plays Damien that performance of him in the car with him screaming and he's screaming no daddy no daddy is so good it's such yeah, a good moment you almost wonder if he's had a little he's got a little bit of bradishness in him yeah like he's almost done that before because he was spot on Oh yeah, he was he's really, really good. He is really good in it. Um, what is interesting though was, um, unfortunately, he did sort of fall into. Um, he did end up going to prison. Oh, did uh, he? Yeah, he went to prison in um, 2017. He went to prison in 2017 for a road rage attack. Oh. Because I did look him up on IMDb. He didn't do any acting really after it. No, he didn't do an awful lot after. But yeah, he did 12 months in prison. Um, and I think he got a suspended sentence for two years. So I, um, I, I, I did notice in the remake of The Omen, he played like, was it like uh, TV Reporter 3? Yeah. Or something like Tabloid Reporter 3. <laughs> yeah. Just as a cameo or something. But, but it's... Yeah. Like you said, there's that, that, that little streak in him. That mean streak is there. That mean streak is in him. Yeah, it's. Uh, I really liked uh, when we get back to that cemetery scene. I liked how they set up the cemetery, like it was done really well. Like with the way that it was spooky and it was dark, and I think it wasn't that well lit on purpose. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 their set design for that scene, I think, was spot on. I mean, I think the whole maison scene in this entire film is brilliant, because, like I said, it's it's sort of. Um, it creates a very believable world. And like, if you think about like how sort of almost gothic that scene is, you know, you it's almost like something walking. It's almost like when you look at it and you get these really high angled shots of that cemetery. Um, it's almost like something you, you'd see like Mario Bava doing. Yeah, it's just... all, and it, but you can almost say that they take a, a little bit of a, an inspiration from some of the Hammer films. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and that sort of like that that gothic element to it, you know. And you got the there's, there's the mist there, and these you know the, the sort of the hounds from hell are just appearing, bit by bit by bit, and the tension builds, and you get that music. You know, like I said, it goes back to Jerry Goldsmith's amazing score. It's a, it is a really good score. Like I, I don't know if you can buy it on LP. The 
score. You can. I think there's a re- I think there's a vinyl. There's a red vinyl release of it. Okay. So. Um, and and the other thing we we didn't mention is the nanny that hangs herself. That's that's Jack Palance's daughter. Yes. That's Holly Palance. Yeah. It's all for you, Damien. It's all for you. But it, but it's ironic that Jack Palance did a whole whack of westerns, and there was probably a few scenes at the gallows. Yeah, yeah. That maybe she watched. She did, yeah, that scene, mind you, is is it's just is, is incredible. Um, do you have a least favorite character in this? Um, you know what? At times, I would almost say Damien, mm. because like he was that annoying kid. Yeah. And, and and I know that his role was meant to be annoying. Like it's not he's not set up to be likable. Yeah. And in that sense, you absolutely agree with him. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, you're kind of like, oh, come on, kid, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I for me, one of the, my favorite characters in this is Mrs. Baylock. I think she's a brilliant character. And I think she is like she is evil incarnate in this. Um, she is like the you know, she is the she is the true wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, she, I think she's absolutely brilliant in this. I think Lee Remick is superb. I said already. I think she's really well. That's really good. why I I struggled when you asked that question because I really didn't have one that I really like. The one you dislike the most is Mrs. Blaylock. Or yeah. Baylock. Yeah. You dislike her, but yeah. She, uh, but uh, Billy Whitlock did a brilliant job portraying yeah. her. Yeah. So you can't cut her up for the job. Yeah. But she's not meant to be liked. Same with Harvey Stevens. Harvey Stevens was brilliant in his role, but he's yeah. not likable. I, I mean, I never got that. You know, sometimes, you know, you you get the character that things are going bad for them, but you like the kid. Yeah. He was. You never got those warm and fuzzy feelings. At least I didn't for him. I know, and I think. And in some ways, that's superb casting, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, cause you think with most child, you know, I know people give a lot of child actors a lot of shit. Um, but there is something deeply disturbing about that, about Damien. That character is, you, you don't feel warm and fuzzy to him. No, you, you never do. So you never have that quote-unquote, rooting interest for him. No. Because he hasn't done anything redeemable in the film for you to want to root for him, other than to let him survive as a human nature uh, concept, or that maybe mom and dad really need a kid. Yeah. Other than that basic human emotion, you don't give two shits if the kid gets run over by a car. You don't care. Well, you you know, he potentially is going to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. This, this is the Antichrist. This, you know, his entire, you know, and, and like uh, Bogenheimer says, this is not a human child. This is not a human child. And it's like, ah, and he's born of a jackal. And you, like you say, you don't get those warm and fuzzy feelings to him. And especially it. when you find out that he's not the actual son that he should be. Yeah. You're like, he's just discard him. You know, like, <laughs> you know. Let, let's 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 chalk it up. Let's try to get on the adoption list. Again, you know? <laughs> I mean, the other thing that I love about this, and I and I say this quite often, is I love a good downer of an ending. And this one, you know, the bad guy really wins in this one. He really yep. wins in this one. You know, this is. It, but every once in a while in the horror genre, that's good. You need that every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that nice bowed ending where the, you know. Yeah. 
the, the other thing I heard about this film was originally when they shot the film in the ending, all three of them die. Yeah. And it was shot with three caskets. And uh, I don't even know if I got to test audiences with that. And they realized, no, 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 no. We might be able to cash in on some sequels here. Yeah. Let's, ha let's have them survive. Yeah. And in the scene where you get the, that infamous smirk. Yes. What, what happening was Donner was screaming at the kid. Don't smile. Don't smile. Don't smile. Don't smile. And he smiled. Yeah. And that's the shot he took. He was baiting him. Yeah. To get him to smile. And again, Richard Donner, you know, credit to his credit. He gets that performance from him. He gets that. He gets that moment. And that moment is chilling. Because not only is his mother dead, you know, but, you know, his adoptive parents are dead. Everybody around him is dead. And he is stood between the president and the first lady. He is, you know, he is on his way to fulfilling that prophecy. And then by the time we get to Damien, um, uh, the, the sequel, uh, which is really good, is really, really good. Lance Henriksen. It's, it's worth a watch. Oh, definitely. Lance Henriksen is in it as well. And he's great in it. Oh, a young Lance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, where Damien is in military school and he's starting to sort of, you know, um, become aware of his powers and those kind of things. It's really good. And they really up the kills in that one. And then for the third one, Damien is played by Sam Neill. And okay. he is the president, you know, he is the president um, or on his way to being the president. Um, and that's great. And then you get the fourth one, which is The Awakening. Um and the Antichrist isn't a boy this time, it's a girl. Um, it is a little bit of diminishing returns by the time you get to the third one. And the fourth one, I do have a bit of a soft spot for it. Um, but it's it's just, you know, they don't. it doesn't hold anywhere near the punch um, that, that the original does. You know, I, it, did, I did like at the very end where they quote the revelations. Yes. On the screen. Yeah. And, and I don't know, but between you and me, I saw the, the quote and I'm like, Iron Maiden has seen this. Yeah. <laughs> I think every metal band has seen this at some point. <laughs> Hell hath understand the number yeah. of the beasts. There's a, you know. Yeah. I can, and then all of a sudden I wanted to break into six, six, six. <laughs> number of the beast. But yeah, um, I think from front to end, there's not... Like most films have a lull at some point. I don't think this one has a lull. No, I mean it. This film flies. It does really, really fly. I mean, in terms of its runtime, it is 111 minutes. Um, it doesn't feel like a two-hour movie. No, because once it gets going, it really gets going. Yeah, you know, and this did incredible business. Incredible like I didn't, I didn't, business. I didn't see what the final box office numbers um, were. I don't it was know. about 60 million. In 1970. Now, yeah. it would have cost a little bit because you had a transcontinental... 2.8 million. Okay. So what's they made it back. What's very, very interesting in this is Gregory Peck took a percentage deal on this. Oh, he didn't? Because he was basically semi-retired by this. Point. Yes. I think they had yeah. to kind of lure him a little to try... So he signed it for a decent amount. Yeah. He d but he didn't take his full wage, so he took a percentage... And it turned out to be um, the most he's ever been paid for a film. Oh, it was probably paying him right until the day he died. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 
you know, but it, it did, you know, this, did, you know, because of course, like I said, we got four sequels and a remake off the back of it and a TV series. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was a TV I, series. It kind of passed me by it. Um, the TV series kind of passed me by. I haven't seen it. Um, is it an American? Was it an American? It's or a Fox one. It's Fox. Uh, Fox. Oh, it's Network, Fox. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like even the Exorcist TV series, I kind of gave that one a bit of a wide berth because it was just like, ah, no, I don't know. No, no. But apparently it's very good. And it's got Gina Davis in it. I mean, the, the, the other part of the film that I found a bit fantastic as if it isn't fantastic is <laughs> the birthmark of 666 on your inner thought. Really? Well, it's that idea, isn't it? That, that, that sort of <laughs> in order to sort of like be able to um, mark because it's that whole cult. Because even Patrick Troughton's character had it on his thigh. So all yeah. these people who are involved in it then are marked by the beast. You know, it's that, you know, the, you know there is that marking on there that is they're able to sort of, um, they're able to, they're marked no matter what they've done in their life. No matter how much that they try to sort of put things right, they still have been marked. And like, you know, the priest who's, you know, in the fire when he was badly burnt and he can't talk anymore. He's, you know, he's trying to sort of do good. Um, but his penance is, you know, that he can't talk. He's badly, he's, he's totally disfigured. He's fallen from grace. And then Patrick, the same for Patrick Troughton's character. He's totally fallen from grace. He is, you know, he's, you know, plastered his room in order to sort of, you know, um, try and hang on a little bit longer. Because actually the evil is eating him from the inside. His cancer is eating him from the inside. Yeah, you've got a little bit of Jason Miller crossover in there with the priest in torment yeah. and things dealing with you. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and 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 it's kind of the other movie that this kind of links me to is we talked off air was Don't Look Now, because yeah. it's got a bit of that Don't Look Now beautifully shot. You yeah. know, this film the, the Omen is really good for the long shots. And oh, the, yeah. The cinematography is brilliant in this film. Oh God, yeah. And that that scene where after um, Peck has talked to the priest in the park and he's walking away, like that's a really good. It reminded me a little bit of the shot in Ten Rillington Place. Yes, yeah. Like, get yeah. Him at the end, you know. I mean, I mean, a... Gilbert Taylor. He, I mean, he worked on uh, Repulsion. He was Kubrick's DP, uh, cinematographer on Repulsion. And uh, Kubrick uh, Polanski's um, uh, cinematographer on Repulsion. Uh, Did he get an Oscar nomination for this? No, he didn't. Um, he, sh- he really should have. Um, he he did Star Wars. Oh, really? He's a cinematographer for Star Wars. So he um, can go for some. He can go like um. He's very flexible on the type of film he can do. Doctor Strangelove. Um, he was the DP on that. Um, you know, he just. I mean, his filmography is, I you know, Ice Cold and um Alexandra, uh, or Alex, um, which is a tremendous war film. Um, Flash Gordon. Oh, Flash! Yeah, oh. Flash Gordon. Um, uh, what else did he do? Um, Theater of Death, which is a great one, which is a really, really great one. Um, he's you know he, he goes on and on and on, and he's just a tremendously talented guy. Um, and what you get is that I think movies of the seventies, the big movies of the seventies, have that look. They have that vibe, yeah. that, that and, and this very much has that. Like, like when you think of seventies horror films, you think of at least to me, like The Exorcist, yeah, The Omen, yeah, Amityville, yeah, horror, and it, it's all got that very much. It's it's set with atmosphere, 
Yeah. It's set with story building and it's shot with good cinematography. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, it's big budget horror. It's big budget horror with a lot of clout behind it. You know, yeah. and then you get like Chainsaw Massacre comes along and really fucks everything up because it's just like, whoa, what is this? Well, you get Chainsaw Massacre, then you get Jaws. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and then it's, I mean, we can get into the argument is Jaws horror or not. That's for another podcast. But yeah. it did set, you know, some things. But of those, you know, well, because horror traditionally, as you know, the funding is usually not there. So for yeah. an American film crew to go all the way to England and then go to wherever to shoot this film, yeah, it had a little bit behind it. It's kind of almost like the conjuring of its day kind of deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, it, you know, this is, it's a benchmark movie, isn't it? It is a benchmark movie in horror. And it shows yeah. that there is an appetite for horror, you know, for bench, you know, for horror out there. I mean, now, you could, you, you could say it's a, on the cheesy side. Oh Some yeah, yeah. Could make the argument like overacting and what could go wrong does go wrong, and yeah. you know, and and, there, and even the scene where Warner's head flies off, you can see a little bit of, oh, is that an amicus product? You know, just the way that the head is flopping around is, you, you've got the bit of cheesiness that if you did not like the film, you could find it. Oh, I think if you really wanted it, really, I mean, I think it's supposed to be the same with everything. If you wanted to really nitpick and and sort of, but. What keeps this going, this film trucking along, is Gregory Peck's performance, is Lee Remick's performance, is Richard Donner at the, you know, almost at the peak of his powers, you know, because he'd go on and do Superman after this, you know, yeah, which is, you know, what you think about, like, people talk about superhero movies, people forget how big Superman was. How this big. Was the, it was the first one probably since, I don't know, George Reeves or whatever did Superman yeah, that yeah, made absolutely. it, you know. I mean, the Batman of the late 60s, uh, it, it is what it is, but it yeah. was no Superman of the 1970s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and Richard Donner believed that, you know, a man could fly. You know, he made people believe that. And in the same way, he b made people believe in this, that there could potentially be the Antichrist. There could potentially be all these things. You know, it's a, it, this film is like, you know, it combines everything that it should do. It's got an incredible score. It's got a great starry cast. It's shot beautifully. It is a great film. It is a great, but great, great film. The one thing that it does have going against it, or for it, depending on your point of view, is you can't necessarily say this is a Satan movie. You can't necessarily say this is a cult movie. You can't say that this is a slasher movie. You can't say that this is necessarily, if anything, it's a mystery. So it's tough to pigeonhole. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. But then equally... For people who are not horror fans, it's a mystery. For people who are horror fans, it is. It's I a mean, horror. You could make the you could make the argument. It's a police serial. It's yeah. Uh, it's an Agatha Christie extension. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. This could no. be Poirot nosing around through Israel. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could quite. I mean, people people talk about Agatha Christie, you know, and I say this all the time. Christie is one of the people who you know is responsible for the for the slasher genre. You know, and then there were none. Is a is, is essentially it's a Jallo, it's a Jallo, and it's a slasher movie. Well, well Ten Little Indians. Yes, yeah. That then they were none. Yeah, yeah. And then they were none. Yeah. yeah they changed the, essentially... They changed. They changed the title due to its sort of lack of political correctness. Oh, is that what they? Oh, okay. yeah, because there was another title for it as well, which we will not utter on air. Okay, but essentially, it's somebody's the killer, and you got to figure out who it is. It, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Well. 
and people are locked in a house getting knocked off one by one. Yeah. I think uh, Bava, when he did Bay of Blood, just played that perfectly. Oh, yeah. Superb. Now, as we're sort of wrapping this bad boy up, anything yep. that we've missed? I don't think so. I, I think the only thing that we may not have touched upon is the impact that the movie had on the genre as a whole. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think in terms of like, I think it, it it's that sort of, you know, this, I think this, I think The Omen, The Exorcist, um, and now like The Conjuring films, Silence of the Lambs, um, these are films that show that there is a, when it's, when horror can be delivered in a certain way to a mainstream audience and you can take big name actors, big name directors and deliver it and yeah, still I would, have the I, impact. I, I, I would throw the changeling into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think because, so. Because, because to be quite upfront, the supernatural genre is one of my least favorite in horror and I love my horror. Mm. And the reason it is, is because there's so much crap with it. Jump scares, silly ghosts, you know, you're yeah. right, you, you shake a few uh, chains and hoo-ha, hoo-ha. But when it's done right, there's nothing better. No, true. And this is one of those ones that if it's done right, you watch it at night, you turn off the lights, you let the wife go to bed if she doesn't like it, or if she likes it, snuggle up beside you, <laughs> throw on The Omen, throw on The Exorcist, throw on um, Amityville Horror, and just let your imagination go. And I think this film is genuinely unnerving. It is genuinely unnerving at times. The who it just gets it just creeps under your skin. And you find yourself thinking about it days after. Which is always the mark of a great horror film. Yeah, I mean the other knock if you want to have it on this is I wouldn't call it immensely scary. No, it's, it, no. It's not an immensely scary film, but it is unnerving, as you said. So yeah. there is a difference between scary and unnerving. Like, you don't get a lot of blood, per se, in this film. You get a cracking decapitation, but it's, you it's get got a, a cra- blood... You, you get, but you do get shocking moments, like the uh, the hanging scene is shocking, or yeah. the, the decapitation scene is shocking, or even the end in the church is yeah. shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but think, you, I think it's the you, human you, element of that is shocking. You don't get your... Jason Voorhees coming out of the water moment in this film. No, no, no. Or beating somebody against a tree in a sleeping bag. Yeah. Well, there's a <laughs> there's a few films like that, but yeah. <laughs> so I think I, I think the power of this film is that it's one of those four or five films from that era that you will think about. Like oh, Jaws, yeah. Exorcist, Omen, yeah. Changeling, Amityville. Yeah. I think those are the five biggies that you yeah. would think of. Yeah, absolutely. So, here we go. What would you score this bad boy out of 10? I will give this a 9. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's a perfect film. No. But no, I, no. Do, I do think that it holds its water. If, there, if a film is 46 years old or what have you, yeah, and it still can hold you. That gives it something. Yeah, I think I think and, nine is spot on. Nine spot on. Yeah, so I would say anybody who, after listening to this, still doesn't know about it or is intrigued, go to Blockbuster. Oh, Blockbuster, jeez, how old am I? <laughs> yeah, get go in to- your time. <laughs> get in your time machine. <laughs> go back fifteen years. Go back fifteen years. Go, uh, go find your streaming service that has the Omen. Yeah, and if for if for nothing else, to see 
a man in his late 60s who still knows how to act. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely spot on. Bill, my friend, it has been an absolute blast as always. Thank you so oh, much. Thanks. I could talk with you and your audience for hours. Thank you, you don't so want much. Me to. Because <laughs> I'm too I'm, I'm too busy salting my driveway and putting away groceries. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's a thrill a minute, isn't it? It's a thrill a minute, yeah. Break if, anybody wants, if anybody wants to follow me, go to landofthecreeps.blogspot.com for Land of the Creeps with Greg Amortis and Dr. Shock David Becker, who's been on this show before. Yeah. And and he is the one that will get you longer than the hour and a half episode. <laughs> And check us out at Phantom Galaxy if you like your horror sci-fi fantasy with my great friend Nathan Bartlebaugh, who at some point will be on the show, and you'll get to talk to him. And give me a shout. I'm on Letterboxd. I'm on Facebook. And I'm always welcome as long as – I just found out that Monday I get off virtual teaching so I can actually go back into the classroom on Monday. Ah, you lucky devil. You lucky, <laughs> lucky devil. Bill, thank you so much for being on, man. I really appreciate it. You take care now, my brother. You too. Have a great, great one and enjoy yourself with Boris. Thank you. <laughs> now, as always, I want to say a huge thank you to my amazing co-host. Um, Bill, thank you so much for being on. I really, really appreciate it. It was so much fun talking with you. Remember, folks, you can find Bill over at the Land of the Creeps and over at the amazing Phantom Galaxy podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, know what the book you watched in this one because we are running a little bit tight on this episode but i would like to say first of all thank you so much for your patience we are slowly getting back to normal here and fingers crossed we'll be able to get up get back up and run into our fortnightly ish uh, schedule but i do have some good news despite the current situation in terms of lockdown and us not being able to get cracking on the feature version of school hall slaughter uh, this summer uh, myself uh, the incorrigible Derek Nelson and the wonderful Emma Stacey. We are going to be working on um, a folk horror spooktacular <laughs> for want of a better word um, and I can't wait to share that so, so I'm going to be working on a on a little short film over the summer um, and I can't wait to share that with you guys very very soon. As always thank you for listening Thank you for tweeting. Thank you for messaging. Thank you for following on Instagram, on social media, on, on, on all our different platforms. So you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And you would just type in the Undead Wookiee and we shall appear. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you are kind to each other because it's tough out there. Keep washing your hands. Keep wearing your masks and just be nice to each other because it is tough out there. So, ladies and gentlemen, all that is left for me to say in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there, whatever you are.